I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm James Harding. I'm joined by Tortoise editors Jess Winch, Liz Mosley and Charles Wattel. Hello to you all. Hello. Hello. Um, before we're done, I do want to tell you about a breakfast I had with Mia Motley, who is the Prime Minister of Barbados and taking the world by storm. She has what might just be a plan for funding climate change and bridging the north-south divide. No small thing. But we'll come to that in a bit. Let's get started. From Tortoise, welcome to the news meeting. A submersible vessel which takes people to see the wreck of the Titanic has gone missing in the Atlantic Ocean. There's a major search and rescue operation underway with the race to find the vessel before oxygen runs out. Big, big moment this. The 13th consecutive interest rate rise from the Bank of England since it began raising rates back in December 2010. The fishing boat, crammed with migrants and asylum seekers, capsized off the southwest coast of Greece on Wednesday morning, leaving at least 78 people known dead but many more missing. Boris Johnson's already quit Parliament. He sent word out to his remaining supporters in Parliament to boycott the debate and the vote on the Privileges Committee report that condemned him as a repeated liar. Eyes to the right, 354. The nose to the left, seven. To try and make sense of this past and busy week, Jess, Liz and Giles have each come with the one story they think that matters most. We're going to discuss each one, and at the end, I'm going to try and make sense of them, try and decide which one should lead the news. So let's begin with long story short. In a single sentence, Jess, what's yours? Into the deep. Into the deep. I think I have a suspicion of what that's about. Charles? Full fat five. Intriguing. <laughs> I wish they could capture your face in this podcast, Liz. Uh, what's yours? A long story short, kids. Oh, my God, so many layers. You've got to be quite a follower of the news meeting to understand. I was going to say quite how layered that joke is, if it even is a joke. Um, Jess, take us into the deep. So this is the story that has captured the world's attention this week, which is the search for the missing submersible that went missing on Sunday with five men on board uh, on a dive to see the wreck of the Titanic in the North Atlantic. Now, uh, at the time of recording this podcast, it's still a search and rescue mission. There is still hope that they might find uh, the men on board. Um, and I think this story is interesting because it, I think it tells you a lot about why certain news stories capture attention far more than others, given that this is a story affecting a very small number of people, why people grab onto something like this and it's been leading everywhere. everywhere. So it's, why? Because I think it's a mixture of hope, history and fear. I think people love a rescue story. You saw that with the Chilean miners in 2010. You saw that with the Thai rescue in 2018. People, I think, really attached to a story of survival against the odds. Uh, I think history, because for this particular story, there's uh, the link between the, the missing submersible hunting for the Titanic just gives it a, the, the whole ordeal very much a cinematic element to it. And that's that's led across um, across the story in a lot of ways. There was a story in the New York Times that said that the wife of Stockton Rush, who is the CEO 
of the company running the submersible is a descendant of two first-class passengers on the Titanic. So there's just a lot, a lot there to kind of unpack. And fear because uh, there's no denying that this is a horrible situation to be in. I think a previous uh, passenger who's gone down in it just said, described it as, imagine a metal tube a few metres long with a sheet of metal for a floor. You can't stand, you can't kneel. Everyone is sitting close to or on top of each other. And imagining being in that situation, I think, is is up there with a lot of people's worst nightmares. So I think that's I think that's why. All right, before I lean in with my prejudices about this story, Liz, what do you think? I have not been following this story. Have you not? Which maybe makes me a really terrible, dead-inside, freakish person. And also definitely in a minority. Yes. I think because... I, I remember the Kursk, and I really got very involved with that story and it was incredibly upsetting and uh certainly what you're talking about people's worst nightmares this is definitely up there and i also had a very strong objection to the quite um self-aggrandizing oh but look there are so many other people who are lost at sea we don't get the same Treatment. Treatment. And I found that whole thing just really like, what are you doing here, guys? Making yourself feel better on Instagram. And as a consequence, I've sort of disengaged from the whole thing. Charles? I'm gripped. I now look at all my news notifications on my phone. A bit like, if you'll forgive me, in the the last days of the Queen's life, whenever it came up, you think, is that it? You know, it's, uh, have they found them? Have they got them? Uh, it now appears, as Jess was saying, that it, it's just going to start getting less and less likely. But this is this is a real time story, so I don't I don't think really I I I do think that the Titanic wreck might be involved in having snagged the submersible. We'll wait to find out. But I think any re- real time story is is just gripping for that very reason, um, and it's the reason. I mean, I, I was supposed to be covering. The Kursk, but I was uh, with a very small baby in London at the time and was yanked back to Moscow, by which time the, um, my then employer was all over it, sending sending reporters from London to Murmansk. Um, the, the, the footballers in the cave, mm. the moon landings, you know, that's... No, 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 hold on. That's <laughs> a totally different... It's a real-time story. Place. It's a place, <laughs> exactly. Place. But, but Jess, all right, let's... Can I tuck into this? Yes. This is a story in which the world gets obsessed. You can't take your eyes off it at the expense of everything else that matters. And the person I was speaking to was particularly infuriated by actually TV and radio coverage of it Mm -hmm. because you can say, well, you can see all the other news out there. You can scroll for it. You can read it online. But when it comes to bulletins, when it comes to TV and radio coverage – Attention is a finite resource. The show only goes on or the program only goes on for so long. And it has crowded out a huge number of other stories this week. And so how do you deal with news guilt, Jess? How do you deal with the guilt that you surely bring to this, which is, of course, this is interesting. Of course, it's got all those facets to it. But on the global scale of things, mm-hmm. it's not important. I would commission a piece from Pakistan is how I would respond to but that. But it won't get on. No, because it's about, it's related. It's in the mix. So the way I was, I've been thinking about You've this story. You've thought about this, haven't you? It's the way, so the way I would try and take a few steps back from this this particular story and the missing sub. Although, to be honest, is if you're in a newspaper, like that's your that's your front page story. It's front all page, the latest. It's front page two, two three, seven. four, five. Yeah. 
But if you were trying to get away and think, what is the what is a big picture way of framing this story that brings in some of these arguments that it is blocking a lot of other stories out, and that why are some why is this particular story getting so much more attention than than others? Is I would probably I would go to Pakistan because I don't think uh, I think there's a lot you can draw out of uh, a country that has seen hundreds of its poorest nationals go down in a migrant shipwreck in the Mediterranean, followed less than a week later by two of its richest nationals, they were uh, joint Pakistani-British nationals, in the submersible in the Atlantic. I think there's a lot you can do by going to a country like Pakistan that's been going through a years-long economic crisis. Uh, All decent jobs have gone. Inflation is high. And you can think, why? Just look at the inequalities playing out within that country that you're then seeing global inequalities playing out at sea, essentially, these really stark differences between people who are paying people smugglers seven to fourteen thousand dollars to try and reach Europe, I, I get and that. those who are paying so much more for for a trip to to the Titanic. But Jess, don't you think that even running that story, let's say you were running a newspaper or a news bulletin, and you put that story into the mix, mm-hmm. that would be one of those things that might make you feel better, might even make the reader or the audience get a bit of perspective on the story. But the reality is, we've got to confront something, which is what is the news? Mm-hmm. Because in choosing that story, it's not that you're bringing important information to light, you're bringing interesting information to light, information that somehow fascinates us, but doesn't change or help the lives we're living. So, so the grand version of journalism, which is it informs people and enables them to choose and make better choices, the story of Titan has nothing to do with that. It's entertainment, surely. Well, there's, there's, there are. It's not pure entertainment. I mean, I'll no, go no, back to this point. That this is a hor- This is a horrible place, and people's lives are there. And, and as I said, at the time of recording, we're still hoping to find them. I think as well. Sometimes you. Get, you can be worthy about the news, but you also need to recognise what people are interested in in reading and accept that that is a reason sometimes to publish a story in itself. And yes, I might have I might have uncertainties about why you know you might not live blog this story, you might not give it all the news bulletins, but to not do it at all because you think it's not worthy enough for uh, for news, I, I think is a mistake in its own. No, it's the it's the hierarchy, and I think the problem is that this is one of those moments where you can't get around it. That a story that is incredibly interesting for all the reasons you say and a whole load others is not the most important story in the world by a long distance. And yet no one really quibbles that it leads the BBC or that it leads CNN. I mean, actually, people do quibble, but it still does. Giles? I don't think you should quibble. I don't think you should be too grand about what the news is. I think you should go ahead and report it. Negligent not to. All right, let's, get, let's come back at the end to work out where... It's going to run. There's no question about that. Where does it sit in the running order? Um, Giles, the full fat five? Yeah. This is a reference to 5%, which is now the base uh, interest rate. Um, This is the 13th rate rise um, announced by the present governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, because the first 12 had not achieved their broad aim, which is taming inflation. Uh, Why? Broadly, because Bailey himself has been too slow to react. um, Everybody who has looked into this knows now that he described it as transient, transitory, when others were saying, you've got to be very, very careful, including his own chief economist at the time, and um, more or less the middle of the pandemic, um, Andy Haldane, saying that uh, 
at that point, mid-21, the inflation genie was already out of the bottle. So uh, this big rate rise today is, in a sense, a giant lasso. Horse is already at the stable, cantering away. I have visions of a horse I once saw my dad riding on in eastern Nigeria. And I just think, you know, that's what this is. It's a great big cartoonish lasso to try and get a hold of him and the horse and bring him back. It's by no means clear that it will. It will, though, hurt all borrowers, homeowners, businesses, their government. It will raise the proportion of public spending that goes on debt service. Um, and it will seriously hurt the Tories' chances in, in the next election. They're already slim. Telegraph had a very compelling uh, map yesterday of 122 constituencies in which the number of homeowners exceeds the Tory majority. Now, of course, not all ho- homeowners are going to be directly impacted by this rate rise. You know, they might not have a mortgage. They might have a fixed rate. They might have, But those on flexible rates will be immediately impacted. And crucially, those on fixed rates will be impacted when they expire, which will delay the impact of this rate rise. Jess, it's the almost mirror image of the Titan story, <laughs> isn't it? It's incredibly important right, and consequential in a host of different ways and not nearly as interesting. The impact is undeniable. The importance is undeniable. But the... Uh, as you say, the reach beyond people who are, have got mortgages are about to renew uh, and the reach beyond the UK is perhaps not as wide as I would say the submersible if I'm thinking about it. Sorry, there's just a couple of reasons why this is not your average inflation story, right? War and COVID, yeah? Um, the bank and the government, with some justification, blame external shocks for this inflation. They say, you know, it's, don't blame us. We couldn't predict the war, we couldn't predict the pandemic, but both of them have fueled this inflation, which we, uh, and to an extent, other countries have failed to control. The key part of the argument, though, is other countries have controlled it better. And uh, Just explain that, Charles. Why is inflation in the UK higher than it is in other countries? Because, partly because of Brexit, because uh, that has created a tight labour market, so that... Uh, wages are up higher than uh, in other countries. A tight labour market because fewer people can come into the country? Yes. I thought immigration was incredibly high, 600,000 plus. Yeah, but by no means all of them have entered the workforce. A a lot of the the net migration is very high. A lot of those, as we know, are on special Hong Kong documents uh, from Ukraine. But they're also dependents of students. The students themselves are crucial to the economy because higher education is an export, but they're not in the workforce. So Brexit but means you don't have free you, movement of people and you don't yeah. have workers coming into the UK and so you've got a very tight labour market. Yes. And it is undoubtedly a factor in very high food price inflation, which remains, which is currently at a 45-year high. Liz? Um, Giles is my favourite explainer of complex and difficult things. Thanks, and Liz. My, you're welcome. And my favourite uh, game at Tortoise is teasing you about how much you love talking about inflation. So this is a win-win for me. <laughs> um, Everyone's happy here. The um, inflation lasso yeah, is what totally. we've invented here. Uh, but um, in relation to this story, which, by the way, I think is, for, for my, my money, is a shop story. It's absolutely massive. It's really, really serious. It gives you the cold dread feeling. Um, as Giles has explained, it didn't have to be this way. We have driven into this obsessed pit of very real pressing immediate financial difficulty not just 
as a country, but for individual people who are trying to already struggling to make ends meet. And it's millions of people who are going to be affected very seriously, not just a few. So it's a huge story. And on the radio this morning, very senior minister from the government had no answer to the question, what are you going to do about it? So without even getting into the sort of, there's going to be a general election next year, are the Tories really shafted? There is no plan to sort it out. It's just, I'm really sorry how terrible it is, and we've got no idea how to fix it. So I think, though, Liz, when people start to digest that level of powerlessness, I think that it's not that nothing happens, everything happens. So I think there will be a deep and angry retrospective look at the appointment of Andrew Bailey. Mm. How did that happen? Why did the bank miss it? What happened at the Monetary Policy Committee and the group think there? So it'll get personal. That in turn will start the asking of quite searching questions about the independence of the Bank of England, because you've mm. now got a really interesting mm. moment where, in effect, the idea of independence of the Bank of England was that economic stewardship would be professionally managed, but it's fundamentally at odds with the interests of the governing party of the day because it sets the country on the course for a recession in 2024, not certain, but likely, mm. and the year of a general election. So you'll have conservatives who pride themselves on economic competence questioning the independence of the Bank of England, and then inevitably... We're questioning the need for the independence of the, of the Bank, Bank of England. Of England. Yeah. And then inevitably, it's going to get angry when it comes to the banks, because higher interest rates mean better margins for the banks, higher returns and profits, and people will say, why can't they be better mm -hmm. distributed? And what's really interesting to me, at least so far, is that Labour's fixes are, as Giles says, quite marginal. Labour's mm -hmm. fixes are, we can extend the term of the loan. You can get a holiday from the loan if you can't pay, so you're not into a forced repossession. But it feels to me as though we've spent a long time catching up with the reality of inflation. We've now spent some time catching up with sleepy central banks, not just in the UK, but in the US too. But the politics of it right, is only just about to kick in. And I think it's quite searching for Labour because the choice that Labour will inevitably face is, are we going to put a windfall tax on the banks? Are we going to change the banks and voters' perception of Labour as a safe steward of the economy and an, uh, a force for growth? It, it, it's complicated for everyone. I think it goes everywhere. Mm -hmm. Th this, by the way, it allows me, before I forget, to give you my uplifting interest rate story of the week. Oh, my God. Can you believe this? this? Is a do we have to only do it weekly? <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't this a show in itself? Okay. I went to go and have breakfast with a woman called Mia Motley, who is the Prime Minister of Barbados, who's one of those people who's like, you've never heard of her, and then everywhere. And the reason for that is she set out in a set of proposals last year called the Bridgetown Initiative, Bridgetown being mm -hmm. Barbados, an outline for how you deal with the sense of historic and enormous unfairness in access to finance, whether it's around climate or debt or health or broader economic inequality. And she explained, or in fact, her and the chief economist that she works with, a guy called Avinash Pasord, who used to be based here in London and has now been working with her for the last decade or so in Barbados, she or they explained why there is something to be done around interest rates that actually could have a massively positive impact on the way in which we fund climate projects. Mm. 
And bear with me because <laughs> it's in the weeds, but it's amazing. It's actually amazing. So what they said was, if you build a wind farm in the UK or in Europe and you need to borrow for that, you will pay about 4% interest. If you do that in Barbados, you'd pay around 20%, hmm. right, five times more. So don't be surprised if those wind farms never get built. But when you break down that 20% interest rate, that, that, that much more expensive cost of borrowing, it turns out that there's a chunk of that that is the risk of the project, quite similar to the one, the risk associated in the UK. The bulk of the risk is associated with building something in Barbados at all or any developing country. And when you get into that, what they call the macro risk, the country risk, it turns out that if you look actually at the history of those countries repaying, there's a whole amount, a huge amount of implied risk, i.e. the risk isn't really there. They say it's around 5%. Right? In financial terms, that is a colossal return, a 5% return. And if you could shift that right, from being prohibitive to investment to actually an incentive to invest, it makes the, a world of difference. And so what these guys are doing, Mia Motley and Avinash Basord and that whole team from Barbados in Paris this week with Emmanuel Macron and trying to think through a new financing uh, uh, proposal is what they're trying to say is we can move to a world in which we are not punished for where we are and who we are. We are not the equivalent of essentially a, an African-American in Louisiana trying to get a mortgage only to discover that being an African-American in Louisiana means you pay a higher mm. uh, cost of borrowing. We can restructure the whole of the borrowing cost for the developing world and pour huge amounts of money. I think it's something like $2.4 trillion is needed to pour into climate finance. And so I just want to say, while we're talking about 5% in the context of uh, the Bank of England, there is a different 5% which is being liberated to invest in climate projects, which we should all feel very good about. Is it actually being liberated? Well, that's, that's the problem. That's the argument. <laughs> that's the argument. <laughs> the, the, the problem is that the uh, Western world, chiefly the US, is worried about freeing up uh, what are known as special drawing rights, the IMF, in effect, pooled currency. But the idea is right. The move away from punitive risk against developing country projects into a blended risk, i.e. using some Western capital, that really is... I think, available and could make a uh, real difference. Right, enough of global blended finance stories. Let's go for an ad break. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. All right, come on, Liz, get us out of here. What's your story? 
Um, yeah, long story short, kids. Um, uh, British children have fallen, positively tumbled down the rankings um, of who is tallest at age five. So what this is, is, and there's a brilliant organisation, I know you're a fan, James, Non-Communicable Disease Risk Factor Collaboration. Um, and they take all <laughs> of the data points, <laughs> exactly, all of the data points, millions and millions and millions of them from 200 countries across the world of how tall children are um, at various ages, in this case, age five. They put them all on a list, rank them from tallest to shortest. And in 1989, British kids were at 69 in that list of 200. And then now, at eight, this is for five-year-olds, boys are at 102 and girls are at 96. So much less tall relative to other countries when you put them in a list. And is it that other countries' kids have got taller... So, or is it that kids in the UK have got actually against where they were shorter? Uh, as far as I can understand it, um, it's not the case that people are shorter. It's that there's a sort of relative to where how tall other countries are, we're not as tall as we used to be, if that makes sense. Um, and it is, it's a good question because the commentary around this data has been very clear, a sort of causative, oh, well, that's because... Uh, diet in this country is terrible now and it's all about ultra-processed foods and that's the end of that. The data isn't quite saying that. Not that that is an important factor. It is, but it data doesn't exactly say that. Um, to my mind, um, there's a few ways really to... love this story? Yes. It seems so unlikely. Why? Um, I think because if you've got children of your own, well, as soon as you have, as soon as you have your baby, you've never felt so judged. Everyone is looking at you, feeding your baby the Peppa Pig yogurt and thinking, you evil person, what are you doing? There's, a, there's part of it is that, that's that, but also because, because it is complicated and because I think it's another way to understand inequality in this country. I am much more interested in the regional variations in this country, which you can sort of get a grip on, than I am in the rankings of the UK versus the rest of the world. Because the fact that the you know Dutch kids are really tall, that doesn't really help me. Good for them. <laughs> um, the tallest uh, children, um, this is the same data, but a different cut of it. So from 2021, at age five, um, tallest kids are in Richmond, the shortest kids are in Blackburn. And there's a because the data is so good, and because this has been looked at by scientific organisations the world over for many many years, it's a longitudinal study. They look at twenty five and thirty five year trends and things. It's very well proven the connection between the height of children at certain milestone ages and social deprivation. And if you are shorter at those given relative to your peers at that given age, it's a really really strong indicator of poorer life chances. So th there's really something in it as a sort of proxy for are you a rubbish country or not? Do you live in a rubbish postcode or not? Those sorts of things are really um, clearly related to this. Cheers. Yeah, Liz sold it for me when she got onto the regional tally of it because the, the, the UK versus the world, I didn't, I was struggling to really, yeah, relate to um, in terms of what, where that really puts us and does that, what that actually tells me about what I'm feeding my kids. Um, but looking at it from a much more within the UK of, what this tells us about social inequalities and diet and that then feeds into a huge amount of other elements, I think, is is where I would go with it. You, you know what's in... Or one of the many things that's interesting about this, though, Liz, is that I think that you draw a straight line, regional inequalities and social inequalities around health outcomes, and you draw a direct line from that to levelling up because you say, well, look, that's one of the chronic problems of the UK is look how if unfair geography is. What do you think governments 
should do in response? The only way that you can make sure that people who don't have sort of multiple disadvantages, so if you're, yeah. you know, um, is to design them in on an almost hyper-local level. You can't make a policy that says, you know, broad and everybody gets it, here's your extra 400 quid for your energy bill. It doesn't help. You have to do it on literally on a sort of almost, this is the cafe where the person is, Mm. this is the person who's giving you the vaccine. This is the GP surgery that tells you about benefits when you go for your vaccine and it all interlinks at that level. high touch, difficult, fiddly, but it works. But that's the only way that you can design those things in. Charles, what do you think about this? Uh, unlike you guys, I, cu- I thought it cut through for the international reason. I started reading it and I thought, yeah, yeah, I know they're all very tall in the Netherlands. And actually, I know they're tall in Lithuania too because they produce a very high number of basketball players. Um, uh, but then I got to the ranking, right? Tumbling 30 places down. And uh, the fact that it, the data set is so huge, it, it's high quality, and that respectable people say that the shortness does broadly correspond to um, disadvantage in the first five years of life. Um, and that, corris- that, that uh, coincides with very severe public spending cuts in, in, in benefits in certain parts of this country. And, and it, it made sense. And so I see it as an actual, a useful macro tool for comparison. And um, it's too, too crude for, for Liz to regard it as a measure of whether he's a shit country or not. But I don't think it's too crude at all. All right, let's cut to the chase. Jess, why don't you go first? What would you have the running order be, given that you can't choose your own story? What leads? Full fat five. Interest rates, inflation. Interest rates, inflation. Giles? Race to the bottom leads. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay, let me waive the rules for one week. Even if you could include your interest rate story, you would have Titan lead. Yeah, we're in the news business. Week in, week out, we report the important stuff and we big ourselves up as our job is to report the important stuff. Here is a a massive cinematic story, walks in the door. Come on. Liz? Inflation leads. All right. I think the running order this week is short kids, tighten interest rates. The the data about uh, heights and life chances illustrates something we know in a way that's granular and important, but doesn't, I think, change fundamentally our understanding about what's going wrong, but it's important. Strangely, I actually am much, much warmer to the Titan story than I might have sounded. I think it's important in that I think it's one of those stories that tells you a lot about who we are. The adventure, the fear, the eccentricity, the redolence of history, all of those things, I think, mean that it's not a surprise. Um, And perhaps best of all, and you said when we started, we don't know where this story ends because we're recording it on a Thursday afternoon and where does it land? But the hope, the fact is that everyone hopes. And an important part of what the, the the news can elicit from people. But I think, Charles, the reason that obviously the 5% interest rate matters, one is they've surprised everyone in going for such a big uh, rate rise. Implicit in that is an acknowledgement that institutionally they got it wrong. So there's a question about the Bank of England. Politically, it reverberates because, as you say, it makes government borrowing more expensive, but it also makes the political prospects of the Conservative government, you know, uh, uh, a good deal uh, harder beyond 2024. But I just also think there's a job of the news 
to talk to people about personal choices and this impacts personal choices in a way that is real in some way or another for everyone. And so for that reason, full fat five, into the deep, long stories even, long short kids, stories long story short. short kids. <laughs> Something about you kids. You for the headline, definitely. <laughs> that one. Uh, and finally, that story. <laughs> well, that's it for the news meeting for this week. Jess, Giles, Liz, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. And most of all, thank you for listening. The producer was Rebecca Moore and the executive producer is Lewis Vickers. We'll be back with another episode of the news meeting next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.